Welcome to the Newberry Tart Podcast. Your hosts, Marcy and Jenny, are talking and drinking their way through Newberry award-winning books, past and present. Hi, and welcome back to the Newberry Tart Podcast. I'm Marcy. And I'm Jenny. And this is the next in our series of 2020 mini-episodes. During this time of social distancing, we realized that a lot of our favorite authors and artists would not be able to promote their new books. We've spoken with incredible creators of middle grade and YA and graphic novels and picture books, and we're really excited to share this with you. Please enjoy this slight deviation from our regular content, and remember to buy from your local independent bookstores. We continue our series today with Newbery Award-winning author Meg Medina. Hi, Meg. Hello. How are you? Uh, well, our world is sort of on fire. Richmond has just, um, you know, because we were the capital of the Confederacy at one time, our city is filled with statues and monuments to oh. the Confederate cause and generals. And so for the 21 years I've lived here, there have been ugly dog fights about removing them, not removing them, putting contacts, moving to the, you know, and it's, oh, it always follows the predictable pattern. And so finally with a unanimous vote, um, they're going to take all of them down. Oh, wonderful! And so that's really huge in the city, but it, I do not believe that it's going to happen without a fight. So I'm just waiting. It's not going to be easy. It's the right thing to do and long, long overdue. But I think living where I live, that there will be people who will really fight that to the very end. So, yeah, so that's not fun at all, that prospect of what our city is about to face. And, um, you know, all of the other things. I was, in, you know, having insomnia for a week. I don't know how you're sleeping. I, you know, all of these things. Watching people get murdered is horrifying. I wonder if Richmond might do what New Orleans did. It was a few years back. They actually, even though it's not at all shameful, they, they pulled them down in the middle of the night at, right. at scheduled times that weren't yeah. publicized. Yeah. Um, and they so, will have to do something like that. They yeah. do have to announce it in the newspaper that they are going to be taken down and they have, there are certain formalities. One of the problems is that the one that is the statue of Stonewall Jackson is so enormous that it's not, it, it's going to take some doing like getting getting that down. So I, I agree with you. I do think it has to be in the in the cloak of night um, to just reduce the potential for violence mm-hmm. that could accompany all this. So it's just we're it's just really difficult times and also um, you know, on the heels of the pandemic, which is just a slow burn worry that hasn't let up at all. And it's all feelings, right? Like this intense, like existential fear, my simmering rage at Donald Trump <laughs> that I can't get back. Um, that, that we both share. <laughs> yeah. I, I just, I get enraged. I get in, enraged. And this really painful exposure of everything that we are right now. So I'm hoping that the protests that they deliver on the promise and that we stay united in this and that we can really affect change, that it's the watershed moment that we're hoping that it is. Let's see. 
I hope so. I have, I have very much valued the time that I've spent listening into the um, organized talks that have come out. You know, Jason and Kwame and um, Jackie did one, and um, you know, different people have done different talks, and I have really appreciated those. I know I, it seems very generous of them to not only be willing to sort of respond, but to be so proactive about helping educate people when obviously that's not their job, but it's unbelievably kind of them right. to be willing to do that. Yeah. Despite their own exhaustion in the face of all of this. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's, it, yeah, it's been all of that. It's been all of that. So I'm doing a talk this Thursday with um, Isabel Quintero who wrote, uh, well, her most recent one is My Papi Has a Motorcycle. And so we're going to be, our talk on Thursday was rescheduled because it was originally scheduled for the same time that Kwame's thing was coming out, and we didn't want to conflict with that. So um, it's called Atrevidas. It's about, um, you know, writing girls the way we, we write them. And so we had planned this talk before George Floyd was murdered. And so... Um, We've, we're also adding in, I think a component of it is anti-blackness within the Latino community as well and unpacking that. And not many people like to talk about that racism within marginalized communities for other marginalized communities. So that unpacking has to happen also. So, you know, it's a process. It's an, an an ending onion. You know what I'm saying? You just keep peeling and keep peeling and keep peeling. So, yeah, that's what's going to happen. There's a lot of anti-blackness there. There's a lot of anti-blackness in the Latino community. Um, and it, it just, it has to get spoken. It has to get spoken. It has to be addressed. And we have to unpack that as well if we're going to completely think of this country as our country as our community instead of all of these separate little communities now have you been able to get any writing done well it depends some like in the very beginning of the pandemic when so my aunt Thiaisa is in a nursing home and she resides in that nursing home where 51 people died um Canterbury yeah and that was just a fight to get information from them and what's happening. It was it was absolutely a nightmare. And so, no, no writing was happening then. I was just frantically writing to the governor and to everybody who could help me get information about what was happening. So then from there, I was able to do writing that is logical. So I had to prepare a lecture that I'm going to deliver at Hamlin um, for the, my writing students. And so I could do that because it's logical. I could, it wasn't, it wasn't emotional in any way. I just had to develop the argument and present my facts and cite everything that I could do. And I could do edits on things, but when it came to sitting down to try to find that sort of that place of childhood that's both joyful and vulnerable, like both of those things at the same time, I couldn't find that exact voice for a little while. And I go in and out of it right now. 
Like I'm working on Mer- the second in the Mercy book series Aww. is coming out next year. So I did look at, you know, copy edits for that, that I could do. But I'm also now thinking about how to finish this trilogy of books, right? And so I'm starting to write the very last chapter of that, the Swadis family adventure, so to speak. And um, that has proved proven to be harder. I've, I have like three chapters written, but sometimes I sit down and I write three sentences and then I'm done. I can't, I can't find her voice or her space somehow like that it, because she's 13 in this book, like that place where you're 13 and your eyes are opening because Mm -hmm. in some way I think like all of our eyes have been ripped open so widely there's just something about now that f- feels like my attention needs to be there. So it's, it goes in and out, you know, it goes in and out. But here's, here's what I know also, though, is that September is going to come or, or December, whenever the kids are going to come back to school, the kids are going to be reading this summer. They're going to be children who need to fold into an escape And so this is the work, right? What are we giving them to escape into? What do we want them to think about and enjoy? Um, How do we want to help them now? So, yeah, I feel like you can't abandon it completely. You have to show up and remember, you know, what you're doing. And then what what I say to some other writers is that it's important. It's like treading water, right? Sometimes you're not making much forward motion. You're just keeping afloat. So just keep pedaling. Don't think about it too much. Keep pedaling for a while and stay afloat until you can find your direction again. Well, it's great to know that there's going to be another Mercy coming out. Mm -hmm. Do you know when it gets released? In the spring. I think it comes out in March. Um, and then this fall, I have Evelyn Del Rey is moving away, which just got picked up by um, Jumpstart Read for the Record. So on October 29th, all these people all over the world will be reading the book at the yeah. same time. And it also comes out, yeah, it is. And it comes out in a Spanish edition at the same day, which is so important to me that families can enjoy this story in whichever language they most prefer. And, um, so that's a bit that here's that the really interesting thing about that book. So it's a book about two little girls, um, two Latina girls. They're, they're having their last play date before Evelyn moves away. That is the story. That's it. That's the story. And when I wrote it, it was so quiet, right? I thought to myself, this is so quiet. Like some, some kids will really like, I like, I just wasn't sure. But then the pandemic happens, right? And we suddenly realize we miss our friends and we miss playing and we miss just talking with people in that easy way and just school, like all the things we take for granted, right? We suddenly miss them. And um, Sonia Sanchez, who's the illustrator, did such a good job just capturing emotion in these little girls that it ends up being a really good story for now. It's it's so amazing how that happens. It it just by 
you know, a, either a terrible or a, a wonderful twist of fate, however we want to look at this, but it's, it's that. It's just this look at um, how we connect with friends and how we stay connected with friends or how we can stay connected with friends. So, yeah, I'm excited for that. And then the Mercy One comes out in Spanish. Mercy Suarez se pone las pilas, which is Mercy Suarez puts her batteries in. <laughs> Isn't that a fun title? Yeah, the translations have been fun. You know, in Japan, it's something like the Suarez family gets energized. <laughs> it's all these, you know, it, the the beauty of translation is that you know that different we get to the spirit of things in different ways. You know what I just realized, actually, is that the last time that we talked to you, you had not yet won the Newberry. That is correct. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember thinking, this is ridiculous. And yeah. <laughs> Look at that. You're like, good luck, charm people. Well, it's really fun now because when... We- we talk to authors sometimes who are like, but I'm not a Newberry author. And we're like, yet. Look at her track record. <laughs> yeah, we you really do. We didn't have anything to do with you getting it. We just had the good taste to interview you. <laughs> well, we knew from the beginning how wonderful you are. And so um, we just got lucky. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, but I can uh, lucky. I mean, this is the thing, like all of the librarians and the bloggers and the readers that you speak to along the way as your career is building and changing it's so it's so rewarding it just it's a beautiful thing when you step away from it and you look at like all the people who help get you where you end up being and help get you there whether it's helping you build your craft like with your relationship with your editor or help you with the business part of it your agent or help you just like be able to talk about your work and connect with readers, which is, I think, where you guys um, come in. Sometimes in the talking about my work is when I realize what the work is. It's it's a weird thing. Um, <laughs> but all of those opportunities, right, to really think aloud about what you do and what you're, why you have made this choice or that choice, it sort of crystallizes when when you have to explain it to someone else. It's like teaching probably, right? I would agree with you about the teaching part. I've been learning how to teach database instruction to college students for several years now. And it's funny when you take something that's native to yourself at this point, right? Because I'm old mm-hmm. and I'm a, I've been researching <laughs> now. And so it's really interesting when you have to break it down and explain it to someone else yeah. in a way that they're going to find interesting and, and useful. Um, so I completely understand what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I should be thanking you for the opportunity to come and chat with you. It's, you know, I always appreciate it. I thank you, you know, and also for thank you for even thinking I belonged on the Newberry Tart podcast before I won. It was, I was as surprised as the next person, you know, when, when the announcement happened and it was, yeah. Well, we were not surprised. Thrilled, but not surprised. <laughs> Thank you. Well, um, Tia Isa needs a car. We fell in love with it. I've followed you since then. My and goodness. Well, that's the Tia Isa. <laughs> that's the Tia Isa who's in the nursing home now. Oh, is she okay? That's her. 
Yeah, she is. She did not test positive for COVID. She's one of only 30 people. 51 people died in, at her facility. 70 people recovered. And 30 people never got COVID. Her roommate had COVID. So the hard part is now I visit her, you know, through the window. It's like a pet shop. You just stand there waving and it's just, uh, it's heartbreaking. But she's well, she's survived and she's still there. And I'm looking forward to, you know, because usually it's very close to my house. So I see her every evening. I stop by and we have, you know, while she's eating, we talk and so on. And I haven't seen her. You know, I can't do that. They don't let us in. So it's just at the window for all this time. But that's a long time. I That was, that book is from 2011. So you've been... You've been reading me for a long time. I have. <laughs> well, um, I hope you'll like Evelyn. I hope you'll like Evelyn when I it will. comes out this I fall. I think I will. I wanted to say thank you to you for your uh, croqueta recipe that you put on your blog. Oh. <laughs> mm-hmm. Because are this did you like my, it? Oh my gosh, so good! So there's this Cuban restaurant that I love to go to, and obviously I have not been going out to restaurants, but I have not been able to find a good croqueta recipe to make at home. Uh, they always turn out too <laughs> like weird or greasy or just not authentic, and yours was so delicious. Oh, good. Good. Thank you. That's my mother-in-law's recipe. It's written on an envelope with a big grease stain on it that I've always kept in my recipe box from like the 1970s is ridiculous, right? Yes, I know that kind of recipe. (laughs) Yeah, they're they're tasty. I agree with you. I'm like, hmm. Oh, I'm so glad because sometimes I put things up and it's like, is anybody going to care? But I did. <laughs> well, we absolutely did. And we're so grateful for it and grateful to you for coming on the show and talking to us today. Thank you so much. Oh, you're wonderful. Thank you so much. And thanks for keeping up with my work and stay safe. And I know you'll, you'll be doing all kinds of things to sort of move the work forward. Thank you for joining us today on the Newberry Tart Podcast. Again, we were speaking with Meg Medina. Please check out our other long-form interview with her on our website at www.newberrytart.com. And also the rest of our 2020 series of mini episodes with various authors and illustrators. Thanks for listening. Bye. assistance for Newberry Tart is provided by Raphael Siebenman and Liam Grove. Graphic design by Liz Meitinger. Intro and outro by Ariana Hargrave. Theme music for this podcast is provided by the laid-back and local Throckmorton Ukulele Band. You can hear more of their music on Facebook. Find more Newberry Tart episodes at iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Our website is Newberry Tart. That's N-E-W-B-E-R-Y-T-A-R-T dot com.